0: Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 204 for the 24th of June, 2015. I'm Chester Wisniewski, coming to you from the FIFA Women's World Cup, Vancouver, Canada. Welcome, Duck. Hello, Chester. Happy midwinter. We've had a really uh, pretty good run of things here. And in fact, I, I saw a bit of the Aurora Borealis last night uh, in, in the clear summer sky, which was quite cool. I've never seen an aurora. It must be quite spectacular. It was barely visible from where I live last night, but it is quite spectacular, I do have to say. Now, you know, I've been travelling almost nonstop for the last four months or so, and so it's, it's really good to be home. And one of the things I noticed while I was travelling... Fortunately, was uh, fewer and fewer Windows XP machines, and I was quite um, encouraged by that. Until I read this story about uh, the U.S. Navy extending their support contract for a hundred thousand computers running Windows XP still within the Navy. And after all the news of the the breaches and all these different government agencies and things, it was a little concerning to think that it's not just um, you know we're not down to the short list of of the last five hundred machines over here in the corner, but a hundred thousand of them still running. XP. And, you know, the story made it sound like, oh, by by paying Microsoft for fixes, we're going to be able to maintain our security for another year. I mean, that's kind of out the window, isn't it? I mean, we're not just talking about security fixes here. We're talking about antiquated defensive mechanisms, right?
1: Yes, I was rather surprised to hear a story about a contract to extend XP support so long after XP support had, in fact, already ended. On the other hand, I suppose Ships aren't quite like planes. They don't come home every night. So I imagine that refitting computer systems, particularly when they have to interoperate with all other parts of the defense network, and also, of course, with defense networks in other allied countries. I can see why you might be reluctant or it might be difficult. But wow, 100,000 workstations still left. That is indeed an awful lot.
0: Well, I think part of the motivation here was also the uh, looming expiration of Windows Server 2003. It was also mentioned in the article. uh, For folks that aren't aware, we're only a few weeks away now from the end of support for that as well. It's the same generation kernel as XP, but it had a little more than an extra year of of support from Microsoft available for it. But uh, July 2015 is the drop-dead date on that. I've seen very positive developments across the board amongst people I'm talking to at eliminating XP from their world. But server 2003 is a a, a tougher, tougher thing because a lot of those servers are in critical roles and are running legacy software, just like the Navy is running. And and that's, that's more challenging, I think, to replace. Or they've been really reliable, except for the lack of security patches, but they're locked in a cupboard
1: and no one can find the key. I speak metaphorically, of course, but I noticed that the Navy deal also includes apparently support for continued support for Office 2003 and Exchange 2003. So there's a lot of 12 year old infrastructure still creaking along there.
0: Yeah, and I I think that to be fair to Windows administrators, I mean, the same thing is probably happening throughout these organizations with old Unix and Linux releases as well that are long unsupported. It's just less of a high profile situation to worry about what happens to Solaris eight or what happens to Red Hat 4 or you know these types of things. It just doesn't make the headlines. We'll switch gears to Apple on that, right? We've we've got this Apple cord vulnerability, which I'll let you explain kind of how it works. My understanding is there's a bit of a race condition related to the keychain, which is a rather sensitive component in OS 10 and iOS. But uh, more than that, the, the the people who discovered the vulnerability said they reported it to Apple some time ago, I think something like six months ago, but because they didn't get any positive feedback from Apple as to, hey, we're working on it, can you give us another few weeks, or hey, we're going to fix that in the next major OS release, or there wasn't really uh, apparently much communication. As a result, these guys just dropped zero day on the on the community, right? Mm, sort of.
1: It's not the kind of vulnerability where a crook can use it to jump in your computer and do whatever he wants. Uh, It's more like a sort of elevation of privilege where two applications that run as the same user uh, when they're doing inter-process communication of various sorts, on OS X, as with many other modern operating systems, they're still kept apart, even though they're both your processes running under your account. And the idea is divide and conquer, keep things separate. You can prevent a small disaster turning into a big one. What they found is in some circumstances, uh, particularly with Keychain, which is Apple's comprehensive key storage utility, uh, and unfortunately, there's a way that one app can actually play with the Keychain entries of another app, and possibly, if the apps aren't coded cautiously enough, and no one knew to be cautious until now, of course, then they can actually read each other's data. So it is more like an elevation of privilege. It's not remote code execution. But unfortunately, you're right. It looks as though Apple played that whole cone of silence card that is part of their official response to security reports, namely that there is no response until they've got a full and final answer. I can kind of understand that, but it leaves you thinking, well, what's going on? Maybe the only way to get Apple to move forward is to put the heat on them a bit.
0: Well, since I was using the the term shifting gears moving from the Navy into the Apple thing, I kind of want to do the same thing again to Android because, I mean, all these different things are different sides of, I was going to say, the same coin. Go for die. A a die, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. You know, we've got the, I I won't upgrade this because it's working forever and, oh my God, I can't get patches anymore. Then we get to Apple where communication with the security community is poor and so researchers end up Making things public uh, in a way to try to pressure Apple into doing the right thing. then we have another variation which is the Google Android ecosystem where things are reported publicly there's a bug bounty available now for Android, uh, which is great there is and 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 yet just because Google releases a fix for Android doesn't mean I'll ever actually get it on my device and this is where Apple's execution is brilliant right with iOS when there's a release, if you're on a supported platform, everybody gets the release whereas in the Android world, what good does it do me that, that you know all these bugs are going to be reported to Google if I can't actually get the fixes for my device?
1: Yes, uh, John and I discussed this last week, that whole problem that it's not just the device. In many countries, it's also the carrier. With many devices, they're essentially firmware locked, so you have to rely on the supplier to give you the updates. You're pretty much, when you buy the device, putting your trust in them. And sometimes it seems that they make that trust last an awful long time.
0: Yeah, it seems to be nice if Google could decouple the operating system from the application world, and and they've done that to a degree with their own software. Uh, In older versions of Android, things like the browser application used to be a component of the firmware itself. So if you were on Android 4.2 and there was a browser bug, and they only fixed it in 4.4, you actually had to upgrade the operating system and depend on that being available for your phone in order to get that browser fix. And they they decoupled Chrome, I believe, in version 4.2. It kind of seems like maybe it's time they do a similar thing with the operating system components themselves and make that decoupled from that bundled software environment that the carriers and the phone manufacturers seem to want to customize to differentiate themselves in the market. To wrap up our, our seemingly all update-oriented chat chat, uh, well, it's not technically wrapping up because we have one more story that's not update-related, but since we're doing all these update ones, we don't want to leave Drupal out in the cold. Drupal is, of course, a very popular content management system. And in this case, it's the, uh, the main one that everybody's talking about is an elevation of privilege bug related to OpenID.
1: The problem is that it sounds good, doesn't it? Instead of just using conventional, old-fashioned username and password logins, where we're always reading about breaches, Uh, it sounds great. Hey, I'll use this identification system that's all open and cool. Uh, You'd be forgiven for assuming that you make things better by adding that bit more complexity into your system, by having yet another module where something could go wrong. And of course, in this case, it did. Now, Mark Stockley wrote a great piece about that on Naked Security. Unfortunately, because you can tell whether a website's using the OpenID module by simply going to the login page and seeing whether the the string OpenID appears there, pretty easy for a crook to automate an attack on those 10 million servers and break into the ones that haven't been patched yet, which is why Mark rightly concludes his article with a little bit of a cry out to the Drupal developers saying, guys, it's time for an automatic update system. Even if it's not on by default, at least have it there so non-techie users who are using your product and love it can go, I'd rather be safe than sorry.
0: Yeah, I hope they heed Mark's request. The challenge, I think, is that it takes a lot of infrastructure within the software itself. It's part of the architecture of how you build something. I mean, I doubt that the Drupal developers can just throw the switch at this point, but these types of incidents should be really loud warning alarms to them that this is an area they need to focus on and move in that direction. Absolutely, because it is true that the crooks are automating their attacks when they know that a hole exists and it's been reported and they know how to use it. Now, I, I do like to uh, wrap things up with something that I consider a positive. And we may have mentioned that
1: last in last week's podcast when you weren't here.
0: Well, you know, in this case, it's it's probably going to lead to someone going to prison. But that is a good thing. Well, let's be fair, Chester. He's definitely going to court. Certainly, we'll see his day in court. Yes. And and I think in the end, it's important for those of us that feel like we're losing this battle all the time. We talk about how many millions of records were stolen from the OPM, uh, how embarrassing it is for the dirty laundry of Sony Pictures Entertainment to be published on WikiLeaks. All these types of things feel very negative all the time. And we forget that the wheels of justice often turn quite slowly. In this case, we're going back to crimes that were committed in 2011, 12, and 13, so uh, the freshest of them perhaps two years ago. Uh, in this case, a Carter fraud related to about $60 million in ATM heists that uh, we wrote about on Naked Security at the time, and the suspect is a, a Turkish man named Erkan Findikaglu. Um I don't speak Turkish. I'm sure that is incorrect. We'll just refer to him as Erkan. It looks like he may see his day in court in the United States.
1: It does indeed, Chester. The the original story about his extradition that we wrote about on Naked Security was that the German court decided that because the maximum penalty he could face in the US was uh, an unbelievable 250 years, uh, no one's ever lived even half that long, of course, it was deemed that he couldn't be extradited because that kind of didn't fit the German system. Same sort of problem that countries have. That don't have the death penalty when they want to extradite someone on serious charges like murder to a country that does. Normally my understanding in those cases what happens is that the country where he will be tried agrees to waive the penalty that the other country wouldn't accept and they agree on a maximum penalty that is minimum enough to suit both parties and it looks as though some sort of agreement must have been reached now between the Germans and the Americans um, because the Germans have finally decided he will go to the US and he will stand trial. It wasn't chump change he was playing with. As you say, tens of millions of dollars
0: sucked out of ATMs using hacked uh, debit cards, I believe. It's astounding, the numbers when you start thinking about it. I mean, he's he's allegedly... Uh, behind the attack on the Bank of Muscat, Oman, where they conducted 36,000 ATM transactions in just 10 hours. That is an insane amount of coordination and effort, clearly a premeditated crime. And, and if Erkan is responsible for that, he certainly deserves uh, a hefty sentence, maybe not 250 years, but uh, some serious punishment.
1: When we talk about electronic crimes involving money, We always do have to mention that actually cashing out at the very end is often very hard for the crooks. So they can move stuff around electronically, but actually getting their hands on either goods that they buy that they can resell for half price on eBay or something, or actually getting cash out of a machine, that's the hard part but in these particular crimes that's what they'd done really slickly so it wasn't just that they'd moved all this money around and there was a chance of getting it back they'd actually grabbed this in raw banknotes ready to use so it was a you know a massive negative to the economy as a whole so i'm not surprised that the german and the american judiciaries found common ground here
0: well uh, on that note i'll conclude Soft security chat chat 204 uh, I will be taking some holidays over this summer so we'll probably have some guest hosts coming up especially in July as I'll be traveling a bit but for those of you that want to meet up and talk all these hackerish topics with us and all things security we will be sponsoring the Black Hat Security Conference again this year in Las Vegas at the beginning of August and I'll be in attendance along with uh, several of my other technical colleagues to hang out, chat, and uh, maybe even um, you know meet up for a tweet up or a beer or something. Did you just say meet up for a tweet up? Yeah, I did. It's very trendy, Chester. Yeah, it's well, almost hip. I'll I'll be entrusting you with the uh, with the reins of the podcast for the, for at least uh, a good chunk of the summer. So I appreciate you stepping up to help out. I will not let the power go to my head and go off the rails. Sounds good. Uh, And as always, for all of the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophus.com. All of our podcasts are available via RSS. Uh, They're over on iTunes. They're on the TuneIn app or anywhere else you find podcasts. And also over at soundcloud.com slash security. And until next time, stay secure.